thanks for joining us, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on the Medical Association of Georgia's Top Docs Radio Show. We've been doing this program now for coming up five years now. I guess officially on April 3rd was five years of doing the Top Docs Radio Show. And we have been viewed now over 400,000 times and been seen from all 50 states and over 80 countries around the globe. So thanks for joining us today. With its 8,000 members, MAG's got the best voice for the physicians around the state of Georgia, and they represent every specialty and practice delivery kind of setting. If you haven't done so yet, make sure you get by mag.org, and you can check out all of our previous shows at mag.org slash topdocs. And today we're going to be talking about a topic that I don't know if a lot of folks realize the challenge that it's actually presenting. We're going to be talking about HIV and its rate of occurrence here in Georgia. As we were talking this this uh, morning before we went on the air today with my subject matter experts, um, it, I was surprised to learn how we are number one in the rank of states for new occurrences of HIV. And today, I'm going to be talking with a couple of infectious disease experts who are going to talk to us about what is going on here that would cause this to be such a, a rising problem in our state? And uh, my first guest uh, is Dr. Danny Brandstetter. He is the medical director of in- infection prevention for Kennestone Medical Center and the Wellstar Health System. He also serves as the vice chair of Wellstar's Quality Steering Committee. He has a medical degree from the University of Tennessee and completed his residency in internal medicine at Emory, completed a fellowship in infectious disease at Vanderbilt University, and it's worth noting that he was on faculty with Emory University's Infectious Diseases Department at Grady Hospital for three years. My second guest is Dr. Scott Cutro, who is an infectious disease specialist with Kaiser Permanente of Georgia. Most of his outpatient work is focused on HIV-positive patients. He has a special interest in treating and preventing HIV and AIDS in urban areas. Dr. Cutro's department coordinates Kaiser's PrEP or HIV pre-exposure prophylaxis program to prevent transmission of HIV and also note that Kaiser offers comprehensive STD screening and HIV STD counseling after earning a medical degree from the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey he completed his residency at Emory and a fellowship in infectious disease at New York University in New York City and I appreciate you guys making some time I know you're both really busy thank you congratulations on your five year (laughs) that's great it's been really exciting I've had a chance to meet some uh, very interesting and uh, compelling guests here on the show. And, and talking about HIV, I mean, it came on the scene when I was a young man uh, coming you know, through high school. And um, it was obviously dominating the news back in those days and very much a thing to be talked about. And I know that it's not gone away in terms of a topic of discussion, but I don't think it quite gets the news play that it used to uh, to keep it in the public's eye and obviously here in Georgia it's something we should be talking about and when people think about HIV I, I think it might be a common misnomer at least among lay, po- lay folks to believe that if I have HIV I have AIDS that may not be the case Can you talk about that and share the distinction it's a great point um, I think the difference is is HIV infection is when you carry the virus, but when you have AIDS, you have not only infection, but plus something else. And it's usually a marker of your immune system's dysfunction or abnormality based on the, how the virus has attacked your body. So that could be a type of infection that you have or the overall measure of your immune function. We do that with lab work and particular types of immune cells called CD4 or T cells. And then it also may be types of cancers that people with HIV are predisposed 
exposed to. So it's uh, it's a big distinction. The good news is both groups can still get treatment and live long, healthy lives. So that's the good news out of that. When it comes to the populations who really need to be thinking about this, from a, particularly from a prevention, but if nothing else, also screening, um, I think that back in, in the early days, I think that most of us thought it was kind of isolated among a, the homosexual population. But I don't think that's really the case today. Can you talk about who is at risk? Because I think the borders of this population are well beyond that. Sure. Yeah, no, I think um, I think really anyone who is sexually active um, is at risk for HIV. So while the uh, men who have sex with men population, the MSM population is probably uh, our greatest uh, greatest number of folks who, who are newly diagnosed. Uh, we do have uh, folks who, uh, men who have sex with women, women who have sex with women. It really it really spans, uh, you know, all, all folks who are sexually active. Um, we do see cases of HIV transmitted through uh, in- injection drug use. It's probably a minority of, of new cases every year. And also in the U.S., we very rarely do see uh, transmission from mother to child, um, you know, during pregnancy. Um, that's definitely not not as common as it was uh, back, you know, year, year, years past. Um, but really, you know, risk factors um, would include sexual intercourse, um, and, um, and 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 folks who are at risk. Obviously, we want to be screening everybody. Um, it used to be uh, we would just screen higher risk folks, and now really part of standard of care, at least how we approach it, um, is anyone um, anyone should should get an HIV test. Mm. How, how frequently would you say you should do that? Just with your annual visits, or yeah, how I mean, frequently I think, should you be paying attention to that? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I think um, I think at least annually, if you're sexually active, if you do have risk factors, um, and sometimes you know, every three to six months, depending on how how high your risk factors are. If you have multiple partners um, or m- multiple high risk activities, if you don't use condoms, you know, probably screen more more frequently. From what I understand. Here in the Atlanta area, I, I know that there's a pretty high rate of new cases being um, found on some of our college campuses. Is that kind of the hot spot, or is it beyond that in terms of age demographics, professionals beyond school? What, where are we seeing the, the real activity be focused? I think if you look at not only the United States, but also Georgia-specific, our highest rate of new diagnosis are between 25 and 45. Um, and so we're seeing a lot of advanced AIDS diagnosis still in this day uh, and age with 30 years plus of knowing how to screen for it. So we're still looking at people who are getting infected teenage years. So we're seeing people who get infected in high school or early college years get diagnosed later in life. So the both those in college campuses as well as young adults are probably our highest risk group um, for new acquisition and new diagnosis of this, which presents a particular challenge when we talk about how do we do it, universal screening. Um, those age groups don't see a doctor, right? right? We're right. usually too, typically healthy in those years. Um, the highest risk people, those who are sexually active or use IV drugs, college campuses, um, don't often need to see a health care provider for that yearly screening, and we don't often encourage that even in that age group. It's every three years maybe, uh, depending on what their risks are for developing other complications like diabetes, hypertension, based on that. So really trying to target the highest risk areas and groups um, don't often see healthcare providers who can provide that screening. Mm-hmm. So it's a challenge for us as a society. How do we make that link? I would imagine at the state level, given its rate of occurrence here in the state and, and with us being at the, atop the list of new patients being uh, diagnosed every year, that we're doing things to try to 
it increased that sense of awareness um, on those college campuses. I'm I'm hopeful that they are. Uh, you know, it wasn't really a big topic of discussion from the you know, school's perspective when I was in college long ago. But hopefully today, the the message is getting out there that it's something that they need to be be, be aware of. And I would say, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, I, I would say just to buttress on that, you know, there are the biggest um, number of folks who transmit HIV are folks who are not aware that they're positive. So in that in that younger age group, um, it's about forty four percent of folks who are positive they don't actually know that they're positive. And then those folks who are, um, you know, who are positive who are unaware actually accounts for eighty percent of new HIV transmissions every year. So if you don't know you're positive, you're unknowingly transmitting HIV to other people, and, and it's this vicious cycle that is very hard to very hard to break. And so I think they estimate about overall, um, about 20% of folks who are positive in the U.S. just are not aware that they're positive. I see. And so it sounds like you can go for a long period of time, maybe ongoing, without expressing actual illness that you would know is related to something serious like that. Absolutely. I think that is the challenge. Um, because people don't present with illnesses, right? So it takes 10, sometimes 15 years before you develop those immune dysfunction symptoms of infections or cancers that show that maybe there is a problem with your immune system. Maybe a provider needs to look further. So you could go for 10 years transmitting the disease if we have multiple sexual partners over a lifetime and not be aware that you're putting other people at risk. Um, So that screening is definitely important. To what extent is HIV preventable now? I mean, obviously, we've got the discussion around condoms, and I think today, I think they're pretty well accepted, seems to be. Um, but, I mean, beyond a condom or abstinence, is it preventable? Go ahead, Scott. Yeah, no, I think it, it, it definitely is preventable. The, there's the behaviors, obviously. Um, we uh, There's um, the medication called, uh, called Truvada, which is uh, used for PrEP, so pre-exposure prophylaxis, where folks who are uh, not HIV positive can take this medication on a regular basis, and it, it's the efficacy is about 90, or 90 to 99%, depending on the studies, um, at preventing HIV. Um, so PrEP is definitely one of the other tools that we have uh, to prevent HIV transmission. Um, and then there's the concept of treatment as prevention. So when we look at uh, monitoring HIV, uh, we look at uh, T-cells, which is how, how strong or weak the immune system is. We also look at the viral load, which is how much virus is actually circulating in folks' bodies. Um, and we like that viral load to be undetectable. And so we like to make sure with, with HIV medicines, the, the virus is undetectable. And there's some, some new studies and some uh, things that are supported by CDC that suggest if folks are undetectable, they're untransmittable. And so basically we can't transmit HIV mm-hmm. uh, with, with a viral load that's undetectable. So treatment is prevention. That concept really is let's get as many people tested, diagnosed, linked to care, and then get them undetectable. And that in turn will break that cycle of transmission. So yeah. from, from the perspective of the, the individual who finds out, yes, you, you carry the virus, um, there's treatment that I guess knocks the viral load down. Will it eliminate it? Or how far can it control my... I guess my rate of extent of my infection, I guess, if you will. Great great questions. Um, So the medicine's goal is to make someone what we term is undetectable. We can't measure the virus in their blood. Um, They still have it. Um, We have been unsuccessful in eradicating HIV from someone's body to date. We've got a couple of people who have functionally been cured with bone marrow transplants. It's not an answer for everybody. It gives us some new targets in the future. But don't take that as they've eradicated HIV from their body. They're just functionally controlling it. So it's not a com- complete cure. But yes, the medicine 
controls that virus, keeps it from making copies of itself. Therefore, it doesn't um, allow transmission to okay. someone else. And the medicine's very effective at doing that. Um, and we have very simple regimens now, one pill once a day. And industry stepped up, federal government stepped up, private um, corporations and uh, foundations. So me getting medications is not an issue anymore. I haven't run to that in several years as actually being able to obtain medicine for patients who truly need it and need to be on it, which is every patient who is positive. Mm -hmm. And uh, even preventative medicines haven't had a difficulty time getting that for people who truly are at high risk. Now, is this? I, it sounds like once I'm HIV positive, I'm going to need this medication on an ongoing basis, right? Yes. If I stop taking it, then then that muting force, if you will, goes away, and then it can return and do its thing. Yes. Yeah, and so I think the, the point is to get you undetectable, and anyone who's positive should be on medicines to keep you as healthy as possible for as long as possible for the, each individual who's positive or carries the virus, but also to reduce the risk of transmitting it. Uh, it's one of the biggest breaks in that cycle. What's the experience like taking that medication? Is it one that is kind of like an antibiotic, or is it one that's more like chemo in terms of it comes with controlling your disease but maybe you don't feel so great is it kind of in the middle how, how does how does that flow yeah we definitely i mean from back in the 80s where we had multiple drugs multiple times per day multiple side effects right. um, we've actually come a long way with much simpler regimens that are really easy to take and some folks have no side effects whatsoever they take their medication like taking a multivitamin don't even think anything of it mm -hmm. um, some folks do have side effects and and we actually work very closely with with our patients to change medications if needed but we have a lot of good regimens a lot of good medications in our in our repertoire so we're able to switch things up and get folks undetectable with really a minimum number of side effects. What's being done to make that PrEP drug available? I know there's some te television, there, I'm starting yeah. to see ads, other things that we're doing to make sure that the folks out there that are in that, in that zone of risk mm -hmm. understand that it's available. I think there's several great programs. Um, there's a model program down in the heart of Atlanta that's actually doing test and treat. Um, not only if you're positive, you get on treatment immediately, but if you're not, they actually provide PrEP right there. So um, it's a really great program that uh, some colleagues are doing um, in Atlanta with uh, lots of foundational helps, as well as uh, the drug companies, uh, Gilead, who makes Truvada, um, is stepping up, helping provide that for anyone who needs and to break this vicious cycle of transmission and infection. Are you seeing people start to respond to this kind of campaign where they're starting to ask about it? Is this medicine available for, for me? I might need it. The, the, the prep, the prevention type medications yeah we actually I mean we see a pretty pretty large interest in it we have folks that'll just come to us they won't have, they'll be new to our organization and they'll their first appointment is with with us in our department asking about prep and, and that's all that they all that they want to you know want to discuss um, and I think with prep you know we, we target uh, folks who are we obviously anyone can benefit from prep if they're sexually active um, but there are certainly higher risk groups who maybe have multiple sexual partners who may be younger and they're always a, a harder population to target because as Danny said they don't always seek health care, and so they're they're probably at the higher risk, but may not actually be be engaged in care or linked to care, um, even for, for prep. And so, um, it's a, it was a hard thing to try to get them in. Yeah, I think it's really important that we stress that um, Truvada prep 
only prevents HIV transmission and is not 100% in that. In the state of Georgia, we are seeing astronomical rises in other STDs as well. We are number one, number two, number five, all kind of ranking in syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia. So if we have patients that come in with these positive um, tests, um, we need to screen them one extra step, do further education that there are preventative measures like PrEP for HIV, but condom use. Um, there's HPV vaccines that we need to be educating patients on who now have approvals up to 45 years of age to be using the HPV vaccine. So we have a, a lot of work ahead of us for just STIs in general. It sounds like we're not doing a very good job of using condoms today, even though they're so readily available and, and obviously widely accepted You know, in terms of being something you should do. Sure. And, and the thing to also remember about condom use is is a lot of people use it for penetrative sex, um, uh, but also oral sex transmits STDs just as easily. Syphilis gets transmitted by oral sex, probably the most easiest um, of all. Um, and so we don't look in the back of our throats to see the ulcers, and, and, w- and nothing hurts in syphilis, so we don't screen very appropriately for that and don't think we're at risk f- for uh, diseases such as gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis um, based on that. Mm-hmm. So condoms are not used for oral sex, so we got a, another challenge just to increase our screening for that in education around other modes of sexual activity. We'll talk about that a little bit because as as we know, uh, physicians do check out our show and, and if you were able to talk to your colleagues out there that are uh, seeing these patients, I mean, what might you encourage them to do that would help with what we're talking about today? I mean, obviously, we're trying to get better prevention so that we're educating. That's all through the patient engagement side of things. And then in the interview process, being asked questions that would maybe elucidate risk or things like that. Talk about what you would want your colleagues to think about around HIV, whether it's screening for it or preventing it. I think the first thing is we got to get more comfortable offering the test to anyone. Um, and not just people who are at high risk and educate our patient populations and our communities that, yeah, you may be at risk and don't realize that you're at risk. I think that's one of our biggest challenges. And when we talked earlier about who's at risk for it, um, sexual transmission, yes, IV drug use, yes, but homemade tattoos. So um, if you happen to be incarcerated and get a homemade tattoo, that's a risk factor as well, um, may not be readily realized. So it's always good to know and then you can deal with it rather than not know and still have a question. So I would say take Palm Point Universal Screening. Get more comfortable screening everybody and offering it to everyone at every opportunity. Yeah, I agree with you. I think um, being comfortable asking those questions and asking them uh, to all of your patients and saying, yeah, I ask the same, these same questions to all of my patients. I'm not singling you or you out. I'm asking this of everybody. And it's part of total health. It's not just trying to you know really risk stratify folks. Um, you know, Danny mentioned um, some of the high-risk groups like you with tattoos, uh, we also see an increase in uh, rates of STDs uh, in nursing homes, in, 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 in older populations, mm-hmm. because no one thinks to screen. I mean, no one, right. no one thinks to screen in that population. They're not at risk. Um, I know my oldest uh, patient who is uh, HIV positive uh, will turn 80 this year. So he's doing great HIV-wise. He's got no troubles. He's got a lot of other medical issues, diabetes, uh, hypertension. Um, but he, he was diagnosed later in life, and it was wow. only because one of his astute physicians kind of noticed what was going on and got an HIV test. And, and that's not common. And I think 
we we like to stereotype and you know, you know lump right. in the highest risk folks, but really anyone is at risk. And so I think just feeling more comfortable asking that and really abandoning your preconceived notions, abandoning your uh, you know your your biases, and just leaving them at the door and just screening everybody. I think is the right thing. Well, I appreciate you gentlemen joining me today. Do you have any recommendations for our our viewers today as to maybe some places they could go for additional information that might be trustworthy and credible? Yeah, I think there are a lot of great resources out there. Local resources, Aid Atlanta does a great job of trying to reach the community. Positive Impact does a great job of trying to reach the community doing screening efforts. I think those two groups for local. Um, there's a lot of uh, federally funded websites out there that are, that are great. I know Scott was talking about some earlier. Um, CDC has some great tools out there for education, but uh, you had some other great ones as well. Yeah, there's um, so uh, HIV.gov is, is the government website. Um, it's good for patients, also good for uh, for providers as well. Uh, PAUSE, uh, PAUSE.com, that's actually very good for patients, has a lot of good uh, medical information sort of at the, at the patient level. Um, and then UCSF uh, has, a, has a site uh, called Insight, and they basically have a lot of clinical trial information, a lot of good uh, provider information that, that can be really helpful. Well, I'm, I'm very pleased to have had the opportunity to have you gentlemen come and speak about this. Um, clearly, it's a very serious matter and one we need to be paying more attention to, and I'm very happy to see so many people check out our show over time now Um, and for those of us uh, out there in the community that made time today I would like to say thank you very much for making that time investment and please turn around and click share it's one of those topics where putting this in the hands of somebody that means something to you may be helping them out and you didn't have any idea you just click share so thanks to all those that do that for us make sure you get back to mag.org slash top docs to check out all of our previous episodes you can also follow mag on facebook and twitter we look forward to catching up with you all next time. We'll see you then.